0: morning. You guys doing okay? Still waking up? Hey, at least you made it here, right? You know, you're part of the elect special extra good Christians that actually made it to church today. Good. Thank you. Right. So we're in the book of Romans. If you weren't here last week, Josh, who is the pastor of our Cannon County Church, um, did an absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, fantastic job. And that was, uh, that was no easy passage to teach. Uh, it was funny. I was like, hey, Josh, um, you're going to speak in, in in Murfreesboro. I'm going to go out to Shelbyville, our newest church plant. I, I was going to go speak to a couple hundred. I was going to let him speak to thousands and thousands on that really tough topic. But uh, it's interesting, um, and I'm not trying to like promote myself at all, but in the, in the, in the second book that I wrote, uh, there's one of the chapters where it mentions the first time that someone walked up to me and said that they preferred Josh over me. And uh, it's funny, I don't know if Josh has read any of the other chapters in that last book that I wrote, but he's very familiar with the one about him being a better speaker than me, so he tells people he'll autograph that chapter, and I'm like, you, you didn't write that chapter, you know, but, so, he's a good teacher, but a horrible person, if we just want to be honest, right, so, no, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. He's a great guy. So So we've been working through the book of Romans. We took two weeks just on chapter one because chapter one is is dense. It's not that it's hard to understand, but it is very hard sometimes to to digest, to accept. Moving into chapter two, um, it is a little bit more complicated. But, But what we talked in chapter one at the end of chapter one was this. At the first half of chapter one, you talk about the goodness of God, which we love to talk about that. God loves us. We're, you know, we're his children. We love that side because it's very comfortable. The second half of chapter one talks about the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and that is not as comfortable to talk about as his love, but it is very, very important because if we know God is a good heavenly father, one cannot be a good father if they do not hold evil into account. It's like I'm a father of two girls. If I see someone hurting my children, and if I don't step in to stop that evil and deal with that evil, I'm not a very good father. It's the same thing with God, right? Yes, he loves, but he is also righteous, and he holds evil into account. And Those are both very, very important. And It is actually that wrath that illuminates his love and his justice and his goodness. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk a lot about judgmentalism. We're going to talk about hypocrisy. We're going to talk about self-righteousness, right? All stuff that we do and things that we mess up and ways that we act selfishly and self-serving. And we're going to talk about the only remedy for those things, for hypocrisy and judgmentalism and prejudice and self-righteousness. And again, things that we've all done, right? The only remedy for these things is to invite God in to do what Paul calls a circumcision of the heart which means a cutting off of the evil things of our heart and replacing those things with the good things of God, with the Holy Spirit of God. But we have to take a posture to where we invite that in. God, come on, right? Examine the darkest parts of me. Reveal to me things that need to change. Cut off the parts that you don't like. And it's, it's this very kind of vulnerable stage that we have to get to, to where we invite God to kind of do the spiritual surgery on us. And so in chapter two, we'll do all of it. And man, it kind of sounds like Paul is really just hammering people, especially Jewish people. But, but here's the thing. Paul was a Jew, and we can read this. When we read this chapter today, you can take the word Jew out, and you can replace it with North American Christian, and it works like it was written last week. Seriously. It's crazy how much this kind of reveals the state of our culture today. People haven't changed much in the last 2,000 years. We haven't really changed much since the dawn of creation. But uh, anyways, we're going we're gonna to talk about this question today have we invited God in to do a spiritual surgery in our lives? Okay, so you should have received a notes handout when you walked in. It has everything I'm going to say in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a physical copy of the scripture, we're in the sixth book of the New Testament. You have the four gospels, the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans. We're in the second chapter of that. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app Very, very easily. You can follow along with the scripture and follow along with all the notes. If I bore you, you can play Candy Crush. And from my vantage point, I'll think you're just really into my notes. So uh, you can even get away with that if you want to. So but the people behind you will know. (laughs) Anyways, uh, okay, let's pray. And um, we'll go through chapter two today and we'll get through it relatively quick. And uh, we'll hang out a little bit at the end and kind of take an inventory. Okay, Father, Lord, we love you. God, you're good, Lord. Thank you for everyone who's in this room this morning. Thank you for everyone who's watching online this morning. God, Lord, I pray that we just take a very vulnerable posture today. Lord, that we are open and honest enough to say, God, come in, check out the darkest parts of me, reveal them, Lord, shed the light on them, God, cut out the things you don't want. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for our campuses, all of our different campuses and Cannon County and Davidson County and in Bedford County and here in Rutherford County, God. We pray for all the churches that that, that are represented by those counties, Lord. We pray for all the churches we work with in the United States, ones that we work with in Africa, El Salvador, all the different places that we get to do ministry. We just pray for your church, Father, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you. Be with us today. We pray that all of our study and conversation today, God, that it honors you and Lord, that it sharpens us and makes us more of what you want us to be. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is written as a letter. It's a long letter, right? By a guy named Paul to a church in the city of Rome, hence the name Romans. Okay? And so he is talking to a group of believers that started off mostly Jewish, but probably now is a pretty mixed bag of people. Okay? So let's jump in here. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think, any of you who judges and does the same thing, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Repentance. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. God will repay each one according to their works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. But wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking, who disobey the truth, And obey unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good. First to the Jew, also to the Greek. For there is no favoritism with God. So, Before we do chapter 2, let's talk about what Paul is not trying to say, because we can confuse some stuff very easily in this chapter, and let's talk about what Paul is trying to say. Paul is not trying to say that we are saved by the good things that we do. We cannot be saved by the good things that we do. Only God's grace can save us, right? So the first thing he is not saying is that you're saved by works. You're not saved by works. He is also not saying that there are multiple ways to be saved. There is only by one name that which we are saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. He is also not saying that we are all personally held to the same responsibility for the truth. Now, we'll explain this more in detail. Paul is saying that when we have more truth accessible to us, that we are responsible for more truth. Again, we'll talk about this more in detail. Though we are not saved by our works, the Bible says we are judged by our works. And that God's standard for judgment is the same for everyone. Now, if this sounds confusing, it's okay. We're going to go into detail about this. So let's get into into this chapter, into verse 1. So for us to use judgment is not altogether bad. God sets the bar for what is right and wrong, and when we apply that to our lives and to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not incorrect. It's not wrong to judge. It is wrong uh, to to have judgment that is hypocritical. So when we have the standard of what is right and wrong, but we do not live by it, yet we judge others by it, that is called hypocrisy. And Jesus mentions this in Matthew chapter seven. Or not only do we we hold people to a standard that we don't live by, if we think that their actions are super bad, but my actions are kind of a lower level of bad, that is called self-righteousness when we are comparing ourselves to each other. So ultimately, Jesus is the judge, right? So when people say, well, only God can judge me, ultimately, yes, you're correct. But because God has set this standard, and if we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not incorrect for me to say, hey, you're cheating on your wife. That's a sin that will separate you not only from your spouse, but from God. How dare you judge me? I didn't write the rules. I am just upholding the rules that our creator set for us to live by, right? And I want you to do the same thing for me. If you see me living in a way that this Bible says is wrong, as a brother or a sister of mine, you need to point that out to me. And as a humble follower of Christ, I need to respond to that. That's not judgmentalism. That's the standard by which we hold each other to. God sets that standard. But we have to to avoid prejudice, prejudging people. So a lot of people make judgments on people simply based on looking at them, right? And we do this in a lot of different ways, by the clothes people wear, by the color of the skin, or or, or just their hairstyles, or what kind of makeup they wear, or whatever. We use all kinds of crazy ways to judge people before we ever talk to those people. And the problem with that is God says, that's not how I judge. I don't judge by the external. I judge by the internal, by the state of the heart. And so what God is looking for is God judges us based off the truth. It's this, right? by our works, by what we do with this, and by how much accessibility that we have to the truth, how much, how much understanding that we have received. That's how he judges us. And so God doesn't, jo- doesn't tolerate judgmentalism, which means when we look at people and we're hypocritical in our judgment, when we look at people and we're self-righteous and compare ourselves to them, It says Paul says that he's not going to tolerate that, that we will not escape God's judgment when we're hypocritical, when we're prejudiced, because when we're hypocritical and when we're prejudiced, we're despising the riches of God's kindness. And so here's the thing. We often talk about grace and we talk about mercy. And typically when people talk about grace and mercy, it pertains to the sin that they struggle with. I believe God's going to be really gracious with this. Right, We don't think about grace as kind of a universal thing, that all of us, God has been patient with all of us. God has been gracious with all of us, even those who have been prejudiced. Let me stretch your understanding a little bit. God is even patient and willing to forgive the racist, the misogynist, right, the abuser, that even those people, I can't tell you how many times over the years that people have come up to me and said, God has delivered me and forgiven me of my racism. I have judged people based on the color of their skin. I knew it was wrong. Asked for God's forgiveness. He has delivered me of those feelings. But we often don't think about that because that's uncomfortable, right? God shows grace for the things I struggle with, but that person over there is extra bad, and there's no saving them, right? And that's not the way it works. Paul says God has a lot of patience, and God has a lot of restraint, even for the prejudice, even for the hypocritical. And he even gives them time to repent so they won't incur his wrath. That's what he says. And then Paul says that God will repay us according to our works. So not only will God hold into account all the evil things we talked about last week. Look at it. it talks about murder, quarreling, deceit, malice, gossiping, slander, arrogant, sexual sin, boastful, disobedient to parent, all these things. Not only will God hold those things into account. God will also hold into account those who have been judgmental, those who have been prejudiced, those who have been hypocritical. And so what is the lens? What is the filter by which God either rewards or punishes people? It's actually quite simple. There are two roads that all of us in this room will take. We will either take the road of losing our life and pursuing Jesus Or, which is what a lot of people in our culture have done, we will take up the mantra of it is all about me and we will be self-seeking and we will follow our own path. If we choose to follow Christ, the Bible says that we are rewarded for that obedience, both in this life and for eternity. If we choose what Paul says, self-seeking, disobeying the truth and living unrighteous, whenever we say that truth is my truth, What I think is right and wrong is dependent on what I believe. That is unrighteous because this book sets the terms of what is right and wrong. And if we live by our own standards, this book says that we will be held accountable for that. So we're not saved by the good things that we do. The only real work that we can do, the only work we can do that pertains to our salvation, I should say, is that we can willingly look for the truth, and when we find the truth, we accept the truth. That's really all we can do. But it is by God's grace that He saves our soul. But that's not the end of it. See, there's a lot of Christians who have become apathetic and, and they get saved by God's work, and then they're like, I'm good, cross the finish line, nothing else to do, right? And that's not the way the Bible works. Jesus even says, right, that after we're saved, that we are to go out and do good works so the world can see those good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus essentially does is he says, listen, you're not saved by your good works, you're saved by my good works, but after my good works save you, it's time for you to go get to work, right? It's time for you to go out and do things and bless the world around you and let your light shine so people can see it. And so we're not saved by our works, but we're not saved from working either. We have a job to do, a mission to accomplish. And I love this at the end. Look how progressive the Bible is. Paul says there is no favorites when it comes to God. I love this. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter what nation you were born in. Paul says God gives glory, honor, and peace to all people who will humble themselves. What does this mean? This means that the cross of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer of humanity. It puts us all on a level playing field. That means any of us, even even if you've done awful things, any of us who will humble ourselves can have a relationship with the creator God. Any of us. If you go back and read about the cross in the gospels, the guy that helped carry the cross was an African Jew. He was black. Carrying the cross up to Golgotha, Uh, One of the people that got saved, or several of them, it says, were several Roman soldiers that helped nail Jesus to the cross. They said, surely this was the son of God. So you have a black person. You have these Roman soldiers that were pagan. You had a thief on a cross that Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. Do you see that the cross is the great equalizer? It's the great leveler. doesn't matter where you're from or even what you've done. But if we will humble ourselves, Jesus says, come on. Come on, that is good news. That may be the best news we've ever heard, right? It doesn't matter what our background is. Come on, Jesus says, come on. Any who will humble yourselves. Come on, I'll take you. All who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. I highlighted this verse. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles, that's non-Jews, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept in secret, according to my gospel, through Christ Jesus. Now, this part gets a little bit more complicated. So here's the thing. God is not, uh, uh, he, he doesn't only judge us by the truth and by our works. God also takes into consideration the knowledge that we have access to. What does that mean? In God's goodness and righteousness, he will not hold people accountable for information that they never received. Now, we have to be careful with this, right? And so that doesn't mean that we choose to be ignorant. The example I've been using all weekend is is most jobs, most good jobs, most good organizations, right? When you get hired, they will give you a job description. This is what we expect you to do. These are things that you cannot do or you'll get fired, right? So when you work here at the church, we have job descriptions. You read over them. It's two pages. You sign the back of it. And if you break those things or don't follow those things, well, then you lose your job at this church. The problem is if I never give you clear expectations, if I never give you a job description and one day walk up to you and I'm like, you're fired because you didn't do this, this, and this. If I didn't give you a clear expectation, you say, well, I never knew that I wasn't supposed to do that or that I was supposed to do those things. It's the same thing with God. Okay. But we can't choose to be ignorant. So if someone, if I were to, if if I'm hiring you and I slip over a job description, you're like, I don't see that. I'm going to do whatever I want to do here, right? It's not there. That's not the way it works. All of us should be seeking answers, but not all people on planet Earth have access to as much information as we do. When you go onto an island in Lake Victoria in Uganda, which I've been to many, many times, their language is Lugandan. There's very few Bibles published in Lugandan. So they're not going to be held to the same level because they have, not been, they have not had the access to the same amount of information as I have. But here's the problem. In Romans chapter one, it says that we're without excuse. So we learned in verse 120, and Josh put this really, really well last week, that when we walk outside and we feel the sun, I don't know if the sun's shining, I haven't been out since this morning. If we walk outside and if the sun is shining and we can, we can kind of see the sun barely in the distance, we know that if we were any closer to that, we would burn up any further away, that we would, we would freeze, that we know that the tilt of the axis of the earth and gravity is what holds us on and the atmosphere sustains life and this complex beings that we are, right? We should at least be able to see nature and know that there is something greater than us. So at the very least, everyone who has ever been born will be held accountable by the evidence of the created world around them. But the real question is this. The real question goes deeper than that. Do we have a desire to seek something bigger than us or is it really all about us? That's what God is looking for. Do we have a desire to seek the truth? Okay. So the problem going on in Paul's day. Now, again, like I said this earlier, we could take out the word Jew and just put North American Christian from here on out. In Paul's time, The Jewish people thought they were better than everyone else in the world. There were two kinds of people in Paul's time, Jews and non-Jews. And the Jews thought that they were better than everyone else because they had more knowledge about God than everyone else. The problem was, Paul says, is though you have all this access to knowledge, you don't do anything with your knowledge. You know the truth, but you don't live the truth. Sounds like this one nation under God that we live in right now, doesn't it? We think we're somehow superior to the rest of the world because of the access of knowledge that we've been given. But the problem in the United States right now is we do not live out that knowledge. We have access to the word. We have access to multiple translations and formats. And we have freedom to worship and go to church and hear people teach on it. But we have done nothing with it. And so Paul says this. It's not people that hear the knowledge that are good and righteous. It is people that act on the knowledge that are good and righteous, that are justified. So just because we know the truth, if we don't live the truth, we're dishonoring God. We're not righteous people. So again, let's zoom in to to us. And I'm not picking on the United States, but this is where we live, and this is the culture that we need to deal with, right? Right? And this has been a culture that that has claimed to be the nation under Christ for all of these centuries. And I believe it's the biggest load of crap that we feed ourselves. 23% of the United States, less than a quarter, goes to church once a month. Less than 45% of all professing Christians even believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And while Christianity is falling apart in the United States... It is spreading like wildfire in the Middle East and Iraq and Iran and in Sudan and Africa. And it is spreading all over Southeast Asia and China. And we have access to all this knowledge here, but we don't live by it. We don't care to follow it. And our society is a wreck. And you are seeing Christianity absolutely blow up in other parts of the world where they are fighting to get their hands on a copy of the scripture. So, man, not only do we have copies of the scripture in the United States, you can get it in all kinds of different versions. You can get freaking comic book versions of it if you want. You can hear it on audio. You can plug up your phone in your car and listen to Morgan Freeman read the book of Leviticus. (laughs) Imagine driving to that. (sighs) Just not because of Leviticus, Morgan Freeman, right? A soothing voice. So here's the thing. Let's think about this, and I don't mean to be like Debbie Downer here this morning, but if the Bible says we are held accountable for the amount of knowledge we have access to, by what harsh standard is God going to judge this nation and the people in this nation? The Bible says if we've been given much, there is much expected out of us. We're going to have a lot to answer for. Everyone's good? All right. And so Paul said this, there's all these people out there that don't have access to the written word, but they have a conscience that God has given them. And there are a lot of people who follow that conscience that God has given them because God has written the law on their hearts. The law is the Ten Commandments. And and, and most people, most decent people know that it's wrong to hurt people. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to lie. It's written on them, right? It's like a code written on their heart. And so even though many people don't have access to the Bible, they will be held accountable by that conscience that God has given them, right? And that letter that has been written on their heart. So Let's talk a little bit more about the heart. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach that you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? (laughs) You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law, but if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but who keeps the law will judge you, who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. A true circumcision is not visible in the flesh. On the contrary, A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and it's a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. So Paul was a Jew. So whenever we think that Paul is just hammering on the Jews, he was a Jew. And Paul also knew the benefits in this time of being a Jew, There are several of them, and here's a couple that he mentions. It was a benefit to be a Jew because the truth started with the Jews. They were the first ones to receive the law from God, and that law guided the Jewish people. It guided the people of God. The law revealed the will of God to them, and the law showed them the correct way to live. Now, very similarly to Christians in North America, we have had access to the written word. And because we have had access to so much knowledge, just like the Jews in Paul's time, that should humble us. But just like the Jews in Paul's time, it did not humble us. It has made us very arrogant. And it made the Jews in Paul's time very arrogant, thinking that they were better than everyone else in the world. So again, remember, if we've been given much, we're held accountable for much. So we have to do this balancing act. Yes, it is amazing that we have access to so much knowledge, that we have access to so much of the truth, but we have to hold that in balance of now that we have access to this truth, we are held responsible for this truth. We are now liable for that truth. What that means in practical terms is this. I'm going to get a little preachy here for a second. We cannot teach if we're not willing to also be taught. We cannot tell other people not to sin while we are sinning. What that means is this. 85% of people that claim to be born-again Christians have sex outside of marriage or have had sex outside of marriage. So when I hear a bunch of straight Christians who are addicted to porn pointing at the gay community saying, look how sinful they are, I want to say, oh, pump the brakes for a second. I know sin is sin, and it's, it's fine for us to call out sin. But stop pulling splinters out of everyone else's eye when you got a tree in yours. You're addicted to porn. You're having sex outside of marriage. And that will will pave a road to hell just like any of those other sins that you're talking about. So if we're going to start pointing at everyone else's sin, you better make sure you've dealt with the evil in you first. We can't tell people not to sin while we're sinning. Can't tell people not to cheat on your wives when you're looking at porn all the time at three o'clock in the morning. Adultery is adultery, correct? And if you've looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, Jesus says, you might as well have slept with her. Need to pump the brakes sometimes, don't we? We can't call out sin if we're living in sin. We can't preach about idol worship when a bunch of people won't show up to church because a football game is on. Everyone awake? We can't talk about all these evil pagans out there. To think other things are more important to God when we won't come to church when it's raining. I'm just kind of sick of playing games. If we're going to do this, let's do this. If we're not going to do it, let's not do it. But that's the thing. We cannot brag about being followers of Christ when we're not following Christ. And that's what a lot of, not, not you, man, and I'm not just saying this. This church is such an exception. You guys are phenomenal, but we need to make sure that we never slide into this. We need to make sure that we never start going down this road of this self-righteous, judgmental Christian. It's not the road we're to go down, and that's what Paul is calling out here. Because what happens is this. When we become self-righteous, and when we become judgmental, and when we become hypocrites, it blemishes the reputation of God. Not that God has done anything wrong, but his ambassadors have. And Paul says when you dishonor God by breaking his law, it makes it impossible for us to go out and share the gospel. So if we go to work and we got all the bumper stickers on our cars and the big tattoo of Jesus and a cross and we're wearing the shirt and the whole nine yards and we're gossiping and slandering and lying and being lazy and we're doing all kinds of awful things, what happens is a bunch of non-believers say, man, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with that. That person's terrible. So for those of us that know better, we need to humble ourselves. Say, God, forgive me. And when we say, God, forgive me, that's, that's not completely repentance. Repentance is then taking a step away from that evil. Honoring God by how we live. And that's not just so we can get to heaven. It's so your kids can get to heaven. It's so your neighbor can get to heaven. It's so we can shine a light that others will see the goodness in us and we can deflect them back to Christ. Listen, your kids are watching you. And when you come into this place and you put on your big smile and everyone's great, and then you get in your car and you and your wife fight and you look at what God, at God knows what and listen to God knows what and say God knows what, your kids see this. And they say this whole Christian thing is bullcrap. It, hasn't, it only changes us when we're in the building, and then they go out and act like hell. We've got to be the same all the time. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're repentant. We're humble. We're doing our best to follow what this Bible teaches. So Paul says that circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. So what that means is this. The outside, that's fine to look the part. It's fine to talk the talk as long as you walk the walk. If you're going to post that picture of your, your Bible in a bagel, It's not enough just to post the picture of the book. You need to be reading the book. That's what Paul is saying. It's okay to wear the t-shirt or get the tattoo. That's fine. But you better live it out too. If you're going to talk it, that's fine. You better walk it too. So Paul is saying that again, God doesn't judge you by your t-shirt or your tattoo or your bumper stickers or your bagel Bible Instagram picture. God sees the heart. And we can look the part. We can fool everybody. But you will never fool Christ. You will never fool. You can talk the talk. It is fine to talk the talk. Nothing against your Bible pictures. I wish more people would post that they're reading the word, but you better be reading the word. You better be in that. So Paul says, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is a Jew inwardly. Let's take out the word Jew and let's put in follower of God. A follower of God is not one that just dresses the part or looks the part, or talks the part. A follower of God is one that lives it out inwardly. So it is not religious action that makes us a follower of Jesus Christ. We can go to church, we can tithe, we can serve, but if we do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, we cannot be saved. You know what Protestants are really good at? We're really good at pointing at Catholics and Anglicans and and Lutherans, and we're saying, oh, those religious people, they think their religion is going to get them there. We have made religion in the Protestant non-denominational world too. We even have a liturgy like, we, like they do, right? It's not the same kind of liturgy, but if you notice on, on the weekends, it's always the same format. That's, that's liturgy. And we can start thinking as Protestant non-denominational community church people, we can start thinking that just because I go to a building, I'm good with God. It's the equivalent of saying, I see my wife one hour a week. Isn't that enough? Ask your wife. (laughs) Ask your father in heaven if one hour a week is sufficient, right? If we say we love him above all other things. So what we have to do, guys, the remedy for all of this, because everything we have talked about today, we have all fallen to this. So what do we do? We have to invite Jesus in to cut these things out. Here is our biggest problem with that, and this is where we all fall short as well. One of our biggest hang-ups to letting God change us from the inside out is we really care too much about what other people think about us. We care so much. One of our biggest problems is that we seek the approval of people more than the approval of God. And so if we're honest... Do we seek favor and acceptance more from people or do we strive to honor the teachings of God? It's that situation when you're at work and everyone's talking about getting wasted on Friday night and hooking up with girls and hooking up with guys and all this stuff. And then it comes around to you, Corey, you should go with us sometime. Well, again, that shouldn't happen in my work. Let's say that I work with you, right? (laughs) If that happens here, we have again, that's, that's that's a problem. Big problem let's say I'm working out somewhere in the, in, the, in the secular world. In those moments, do I have enough strength to not give in to what they're saying and what they're doing? And maybe there are some jokes that I don't need to laugh at. Maybe there's some conversations I need to step away from. Maybe there are even times I need to step in and say, hey, guys, that's wrong. And in those moments, are we willing to make sure that we're approved more by God than by the people around us? Let me tell you, there is a huge freedom that comes when we start asking ourselves, not to people like me, but have I done everything within my power to get God's approval? And when we worry first about what God thinks about us, there is this peace and this freedom that God gives us, right? So here's here's what we have done in our culture, in our society. We have become a culture and society that has become masters at selling the product of self. This is what we sell. This is the God of our culture. And what happens is, is, is people in the world create a facade that makes everyone around them think that they're living a lot larger than what they actually are. We have created this, this, this idea, this veneer, right? That I just kind of periodically walk down the street laughing and someone takes a picture and that's, you know, that's my, my profile pic and That I'm always on vacation. That everything's always good. Look how successful I am. Look how good I am. Even our little descriptions on our social media, right? Visionary. World changer. Creative, right? Never been past Kentucky. You know, all this stuff that people say about themselves. Our greatest problem is that we think way too much of ourselves. And this kind of culture has infiltrated the church. Man, I'll tell you what, Christians started wearing masks long before there was a thing called COVID. And and it is, it's what we do. We think that we can come in here, just make sure that we're wearing the right thing, that we look the right part. We smile. You're okay. I'm okay. Let's not dig too deep, right? Right. We put on this veneer, this thick, thick mask. We've become so good in the church world at wearing masks. And it even happens with pastors, right? you got these pastors that dress a certain way and only teach the stuff that is warm and fuzzy feeling, and and we just keep it real surface level, and we never dig deep. And because our masks have gotten so layered and so thick, we have blocked out any, any hope of introspection and honest conversation. And the fact that we are dealing with sin and the fact that we are broken and this facade, this culture of, of trying to live large on the outside, inside we are dying. We're drowning in fear and we're drowning in insecurity and we're drowning in depression and shame and guilt. And we have this hidden sin that we just hope no one hears about this thing because they're going to think less of me, which I'm going to tell you guys, that's just a lie from the devil. That's why the Bible says, confess your faults, because you'd be shocked at how many people in this room have struggled with these same exact things. And we find strength in community when we say, brother, I am struggling with this. And they're like, man, I am too. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's pray for each other. Let's fast. Let's build this relationship. That's, the, that's how we fulfill the law of Christ, the Bible says. But when we hide behind this living large veneer that we've created in our me time, that's guys, man, I'm sorry I'm taking so much. This is why we can never be alone in silence. This is why no one can sit in a coffee shop and wait for their friend without pulling out their phone because we've created so much noise. Because we know if we're by ourselves long enough, we're gonna see that we're broken. That's why there's always something in our ears. That's why we always have three things visually we have our phone, our, our TV thing, and like we're doing something else with our other hand somehow. Because if we're alone long enough, if the mask gets dropped accidentally, then we're exposed, right? I'm not as big as I thought I was. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I don't have it together as much as I thought I did. But because of our unwillingness to to seek the things of God, because of our unwillingness to lay down the facade, because of our unwillingness to seek God's approval more than man's approval, you have a lot of people that claim to be Christians that are still living in their sin. And that's not the desire of God. Romans chapter 6 says we are no longer enslaved to our sin. Let me tell you some bad theology that a lot of Christians say all the time. A lot of Christians say, man, I'm just a broken sinner. Bullcrap you are. Jesus didn't die on the cross and redeem you so you can stay the same. That's not in this book. Hold on. The book even says we are more than overcomers of that sinful lifestyle. We don't remain in the same ditch that God pulled us out of. That is not theologically sound. So a lot of Christians are like, I'm just broken. No, no, no. You're trying to make excuses to live in the sin that you're living in. The potter doesn't leave the clay broken. He doesn't leave it incomplete. But so many Christians are living in their brokenness. And it's not just going to mess their life up here they're not careful, it's going to eternally separate them from God. So we need to be honest. God, we need to be honest. Have we become people that look at others and say, well, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. I may lust, but I'm not doing that. Have we stepped back and said, well, look at them. There's no way that they can be living the right way. Do we start to compare? Do we start to to take the position of judge? Do we believe because of where we are geographically or because of the information we've had access to that we're somehow better than other people? Because we're in the United States, we're, we're better than those people down in Mexico. We're better than those people up in Canada. We're better than those people over in the Middle East. We're better than these people. Do we believe that we're somehow favored by God more than anyone else? Do we believe that we can somehow be woke enough to, like, garner heaven? Do we believe that we can be, like, politically correct enough to, like, earn God's good graces? Do we think that we can feed enough homeless people to to earn our way into heaven? If you don't know who Roy Kroc is, the guy that that stole McDonald's from the McDonald's brothers, a pretty horrible human being, cheated on his wife, slept with a bunch of other guys' wives, was a pretty terrible person, and at the end of his life, and I don't know how he ended his life, but he gave away a billion dollars. Billion with a B, thinking that he could right all of his wrongs by this one action. I'm going to tell you guys, that's not the way God works. We cannot buy our way into salvation. Do we know that it is only by his work and not by our work that we can be saved? Let me ask you this. Are you actively looking for the answers? Let me ask you an even greater question. When you find it, will you submit to it? If you break open this book and you start reading it, I promise you, you're going to come across something that's going to offend you. But if we believe that this is the infallible, inspired word of God, when we find the truth, will we relent to it? Will we submit to it? Do we understand here, now, today, you and I, we have been exposed to the word of God, the things in this book? Do you know that it is an American who has the internet and access to the word of God, access to church? Do you know that you're going to be held responsible for that? I wasn't joking and I wasn't trying to sound like a Debbie Downer when I said America is going to be judged harshly. We're going to be judged harshly because for 300 years we have had religious freedom. We have had access to the word. We have had access to church, to worship, to the truth. We've been blessed in this regard, but because of the substantial blessing that we have received, there's a huge amount of liability that we hold for that. Do you understand that? That you can't just hear in this place that it is wrong to do something and then walk out and do that and think that God turns a blind eye. We're going to be held responsible for that. Let me ask you this, and if you haven't done this, I implore that sometime soon you do this. We need to invite God into the darkest chambers of our heart. Not just the Lord, I believe you and I accept you. No, no, Lord, dig in. God, reveal the the, the darkest chambers of me and not just bring light to the darkest chambers of my heart. That that phraseology, darkest chambers, that was used by Solomon in the the book of Kings, I think chapter 8, I could be wrong. But but when Solomon said, examine the, the, the dark chambers of my heart, Solomon was saying, God, get into those areas and expose, shine light on things that maybe I'm not even aware of. The insecurities, unrepentant sin, and not only expose it, God, cut it out. Forgive me of that. Remove those things and fill my heart back up with your spirit. Have we asked God, Lord, do surgery on my soul. Do surgery on my heart. Change the way I think. Change the way I speak. Change the way I act. I'm going to tell you guys, if you do that, if if you reach this posture of vulnerability where you say, God, come on. Surgery is good for you, but it's not always comfortable. Sometimes God may cut out that relationship. God may cut out that addiction that you are in love with. God may tell you to move. God may tell you to stay. But are we going to position ourselves? Because guys, listen, I'm going to show you this sentence, and I have not been able to escape this sentence all week. And the whole time I've been praying and thinking about it, I'm like, God, I don't even know how this pertains to what we're talking about this week, but I could not escape it. We cannot do this life under our own power. It is impossible. It is so brutal. It is so ugly that we will fall apart if we try to carry it all on our own. If we do not reach that place of vulnerability to where we say, God, come on, whatever you want for me, whatever you if we do not reach that place, we're going to blow it. We're going to ruin our marriages. We're not going to raise our children correctly. We're not going to build healthy relationships. These are just things in this life. Not to mention, if we do not relent and let God have access to everything, we will not make it to an eternity with him. You and I cannot make it under our own power. It is impossible. I remember one time, back when this church was really small, maybe a couple hundred people, maybe not even that many. There was this really beautiful young girl, uh, very smart, very intelligent, really popular, just a good kid. She went to Siegel High School. One day I was, uh, I can't remember what day of the week it was, I was taking a shower and usually wouldn't answer the phone when it rings while I'm in the shower, but it was ringing and I was in the bathroom and I hopped out of the shower real quick and, and grabbed the phone and And it was this young lady's mother telling me that on her way to a football game, she was texting a friend, just saying she was almost there. She ran off the road, hit a tree, and died instantly. And so I remember I was asked by Siegel High School to to speak to the entire senior class. It was really neat. The the principal of the school at the time said, I said, what do you want me to tell him? He goes, teach him the gospel. I said, okay. So I got to do that, which was really, really cool. I got to do her funeral, and and, and I was very humbled and honored to do that. And then I remember I got to do her graveside, and we were standing at her graveside, and there was tons of people. And her mom was sitting about three feet away from me. I mean, very close. And her mom was sitting there looking me in the eyes, and the whole time, I'm like, God, what do you say? What do you say to a mom that just lost her 17-year-old girl unexpectedly like this? name was Tina. I looked at Tina and I said, hey, listen, the only way you're going to make it is if you live the kind of relationship with Jesus that your daughter had, because I'm going to tell you this. If you live a life that honors Jesus, you'll see your daughter again. Because I said, God promised us for those that believe and follow Christ, we never truly die, but we have everlasting life. And it was in that moment, you could almost see it on her face. There's hope. I lost her for a temporary time, but one day, one day, I'll see her again. Let me tell you, there are some of us in this room, if it weren't for the cross, we would have put a gun in our mouths a long time ago. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people in this room that if it wasn't for the cross, they wouldn't be married right now. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people in this room that would drown in depression and anxiety if it weren't for the cross. Let me tell you, I can say it with so much confidence. You will not make it through this life under your own power. You will not. It's time to relent. It's time to just be vulnerable and say, come on, come on. You have access to everything. James says that Jesus knocks on the door and he waits for us to open it. And it says, if we open it, he will come in and eat with us. He just wants to get to know you better. He just wants to talk with you. He wants to love you. He wants to be with you, right? He wants to hear how your day is going. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If there is anyone in this room, maybe you do not have a relationship with God or maybe it's it's very new, and you have some questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Muhammad is up here. Pastor Muhammad was a seeker once upon a time. (laughs) If you want to talk to Pastor Muhammad, he'd love to talk with you. There are men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, anything in your life, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I also want to encourage you, if you have something you want to get off your chest Other humans cannot forgive your sins. Only God can forgive your sins. But the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Bear each other's burdens. If you just want to come get something off your chest, they're not going to tell anyone. Come and confess it and let them pray with you. The last thing is is you have communion in your hands. That is, again, a reminder that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. That if we will ask God to forgive us of our sins, if we will take the posture of vulnerability and say, Lord, come on, whatever you want to do to me, do it. You're in the hands of a good, loving, gracious Father. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church. Father, I love this church. Lord, I love the people in this room. God, this is a good group, Lord. I pray that no one in this room feels condemnation. But I pray, Lord, that they just act on the knowledge that you've you've given them access to. That we would be humble, Father. That we would trust you. That we would be vulnerable and say, Father, Lord, whatever you need to do in my life, do it, God. Even if it hurts for a little bit, Lord, we know that you have what's best for us in your mind. Bless my friends in this room. Protect them and keep them safe. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys very much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.